Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exorcise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Tessa, and with me are my co-hosts, Andy. Hello. And Dr. Sam. Howdly doodly. This week, Sam checks in on the worst child from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Andy tests the limits of his masochism, and I get quippy and thwippy. All right, Andy, I know you're a huge fan of the thing I am going to talk about today, so I am going to cede the role of questioner over to you for my segment. It'd be weird if you ceded it to yourself, if you just teased me with this little bit of joy that I could have <laughs> and just ripped it away. But Tessa, what did you do this week? Because what it says is Spider-Man, and I don't know what that means. That can mean a lot of different things. I played Marvel Spider-Man, the 2018 interactive action-adventure game developed by Insomniac Games and published by Sony. <laughs> are there are there non-interactive video games? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Hold on. No, no, no. The uh, non-interactive games are the ones where you just die all the time because the game kills you no matter what you do. Even if you try to assert... And any semblance of agency will kill you. I don't know what kind of person would play those kinds of games. We'll talk about that later, won't we? Isn't that just Dark Souls? <laughs> <sighs> you did it! I did All it! Right. <laughs> okay, you played this this game, and I know that Marvel's Spider-Man from 2018 for the PlayStation 4 is a very highly regarded game. What took you extremely? S- what took you so long to play it, Tessa? I didn't have a PlayStation, and it's a PlayStation-exclusive game. Turns out sometimes monkeys are monkeys because of accessibility issues. Mm. I have We have been an Xbox family for a very long time. We just got a PS5 last year, and that was like the one game. Like When we got it, I was like, I want this game, and I want the spinoff game. I'm going to play it. So that that has kind of been my journey towards this game. But yeah, I was so tired of reading all these people saying that this was one of the best games of all time, that it was one of the best games of the last five years. I wanted to play it, and it did not disappoint. It did not disappoint. Good, good. I just want to cut in here real fast and and clarify that we are playing the remastered version of this game in all of its made for PS5 60 FPS glory. Right. With the weirdly younger Spider-Man. That was one of the things they yeah. went they went through and uh and rechanged the face of uh Peter Parker. But I I will say uh that it, this is the correct way to play the game. Uh this is so much more fun and more importantly, much faster the loadings with the fast travels. Oh my god, I love the loading times on this game. Like, I can just boot up the game and immediately start playing. I don't have to wait for five minutes. What is it even is this? It's the future, Tessa. It's the future. <laughs> now, I, I do. <laughs> I do have uh, have to ask Sam a question. Can you can you pass the mic to Sam? Sam. Teraflops. Ter- ter- thank you, uh, Sam. <laughs> when Tessa's playing the game, does she go yes. whoosh? Whoosh! Is she making the the you you of course podcasting visual medium famously? Is she making the Spider Man flipping as she's going through 
uh, with with her fingers? Is she making like the devil signs? No, she is not pulling an Admiral Holdo from Last Jedi. You know where she goes the pew 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 during the movie. Tessa does not do that. Uh-huh. No, no, she gets really into it because this movie is script or in this movie. This game is scripted very well, and there are quips, and Tessa gets really into the quips. My favorite one so far is fall slower. Do you appreciate or even enjoy the J. Jonah Jameson podcast? Oh my god, he is such a turd. He is such a turd to Spider-Man. Like, come on. J. Jonah Jameson is pro-cop. I mean, yes. There's nothing about... About most New Yorkers of this time period to suggest otherwise. But uh, for those of you who don't know, as you're flipping and quipping around the city as Tessa, or quipping and flipping or flipping and quipping, I don't know which order those go in. But as you're doing that, uh, you'll get some radio calls. And sometimes the radio calls are uh, J. Jonah Jameson's Daily Bugle podcast, which is delightful to listen to. Okay, so uh, how, how's how's the gameplay? Speaking of quipping and whipping and swipping, I'm sure there's some swipping. Some swipping. I mean, MJ is in this game. Uh... <laughs> anyway, this game is third person action adventure game. It's pretty. I, I hesitate to use the word basic because that sounds like it's not a good game or like it's not a challenging game, which it can be in some ways, but it's a straightforward game. I guess that's what I should say. A lot of it, a lot of it to me seems, and I say this very favorably, to be borrowed from the Arkham Asylum games model. There's a lot of sequences that seem like they're straight from that game, but with Spider-Man instead of Batman. So definitely a different mood, but some of the same similar game mechanics. You are right to say that a lot of this game is swinging through New York. You have to learn how to shoot webs, climb up buildings, jump off of buildings, dive in horrible, nauseating ways towards the the street to pick up speed before you swing off to your next challenge have you gone to the top of the avengers building and jumped off all the way yet yeah yes i have jumping off the avengers building it is it actually very much is you have to fight bad guys and you also have to help other new yorkers with friendly neighborhood spider-man like things like there's one person who loses a, a homeless person who loses a bunch of pigeons you have to go help him find his pigeons like all of this are things that i really enjoy doing So the gameplay is really great. I also really like that it's minimal inventory management. There is a little bit of customization when it comes to like the suit and the gadgets because, you know, Spider-Man does gadgets, but it's not like a giant open world RPG game where you're having to like spend an hour just going through your inventory, figuring out what you want to keep and what you want to sell. That's not a part of this game mechanic. So that's pretty straightforward. I also... Really like the model of like the collectible challenges that actually help you in the game. So like there are things like you have to go find a bunch of backpacks that Peter Parker has stashed all over New York City. And normally like that's a game mechanic that I would dislike because it's like, oh, these are just collectibles. But they actually have to do with the story and they actually give you like in-game currency towards developing your gadgets to the next level you have to take pictures of like different landmarks but there's also combat based challenges um like you have to 
you know, do different combat things and hideouts, like do different stealth moves and that kind of thing. It's really, really fun. It's what I would call straightforward, but fun in that way. It's technically open world, but it's a very small open world, which I actually kind of appreciate from some games. Now, Tessa, when you find these backpacks, again, there's like 55 backpacks throughout the city. Yes. Um, do you listen to the audio clips associated with them? Oh, yeah. I listen to everything. I love it because I'm a big RPG story person. The story of this game is actually really good, and the characterization of this game is actually really good. And all of this stuff funnels into that. Okay. There, uh, there is a canon reason for why Spider-Man has this many backpacks in this game. And uh, ooh, I'm excited to hear. That'll uh, that that'll be one of the things that uh, is explained. But I'll just go ahead and tell you because it's it's pretty minor. Um, he says one of the backpacks contains his old uh, science trophy when, for when he went, won the science uh, from the Fisk Foundation. Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, and it came with a scholarship, but he couldn't take their money, so they gave him a lifetime supply of backpacks. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah, I also really like how the challenges unfold as you go on in the story. So you start with the easier challenges, and then as you go along, you get like, oh, you have to do all of these things for Taskmaster, or you have to, you know, do these types of arenas. And I like how that, like, the main, the the challenges go upwards of difficulty as you go, and it sort of funnels you back into the main storyline without being too obnoxious about it. So I really appreciate that as well. I'm about I'm about sixty percent of the way through the story. It has been very fun. Have you have you done the Halloween? Yes, I have. Yes. So so for the listeners, there's a Halloween party at a campus, and some of the people are are dressed like supervillains. Isn't it a little weird that essentially they're dressing up like terrorists in this world? Terrorists and yeah. murderers. I thought about that too. I'm like. What? What? Why is this? Why is this a theme for a party? Like, it seems a little odd. But yeah, I I have to say to you, I love this characterization of Spider-Man. This really reminds me. This made me want to go back and watch the original Sam Raimi trilogy because that's what it reminds me of the most. Like, Peter is in his early twenties. I think in the game he's twenty-three, and he's trying to balance being Spider-Man and being a good person with trying to have a job that doesn't pay very much, trying to like be on time for things, trying to help out Aunt May, trying to help out MJ, trying to, you know, take down this conspiracy that threatens to overwhelm the city. So there's like a lot of things going in here. It's very relatable. It's very much asking like what does it take to be a good person, but also to stay alive and take care of yourself. That there's a lot of those types of questions in this game which I really appreciate. But yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I also really love the characterization of MJ, of Aunt May. All of that stuff is really, really good. And I, I will tell you, you, you mentioned earlier that you're going to play Miles Morales, right? The the spinoff game. Oh, yes. I I am very much interested in playing Spider-Man Miles. In playing Spider-Man Miles Morales, the spinoff game. And I am very, very interested in playing the upcoming Spider-Man 2, which is supposed to come out sometime next year. 2023 to be precise that that is next year it 
I like, like I'm I'm aware of that, but I still have to like tell myself to be like <laughs> you're like wait it is emotionally not sunk in yet. <laughs> yes, uh, you you know I'm I'm one of those people who writes the wrong year at the end of dates and has to like scribble out like the, the last digit. Other thing I'll just real quick tell you uh, to look forward to about Miles Morales. First of all, it's a a better better game, but also one of the filters you get is the uh, Spider Verse filter, and what it actually does. Is puts Miles in the twenty four frames per second while he's moving, so he looks like he's in in the uh, the Into the Spider Verse movie. That's exciting. I mean, I I think this game looks really good. It's very soothing to play in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, you know that I'm an RPG person. You know that I love my big my big world games. But this is just, it's very comforting to play. I know this character. This is a really good version of these characters. And it's just like, okay, I'm going to go collect a few backpacks. I'm going to go fight a bunch of baddies. Like, it's just extremely, it's been a very good experience in terms of just feeling very good playing this game. Well, I guess that's going to be it. You Do you recommend this to people? I do. I highly recommend it if you're a fan of Marvel, if you're a fan of Spider-Man, if you are a fan of... New York City, the amazing detail on these maps. I've seen so many articles of people saying this is actually a really accurate rendering of New York City. Obviously, there are some fictional places in this, but a lot of people have actually been able to find like landmarks from their neighborhood in this, which is kind of great. But yeah, if you're a fan of any of those things, a fan of just really good action adventure games or just things that'll make you happy, this is a game to play. Awesome. Have you unlocked the suit that gives you extra quips? No. There is a suit that gives you extra quips. I'm going to have to look out for that. I'm not very good at looking out for the suits. I just look for the suit powers. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the suit's power yeah. is extra quips. So, Well, I need to do more challenges before I can get to that, I think. Yeah. I just just let, let, let you know. it's. I believe it's like an old vintage suit. But yeah, you, you do it and Spider-Man just makes tons of quips while you're fighting. It is not. Exciting. It is not advantageous in combat. Let me be clear. <laughs> Wait. Being a smartass doesn't actually make you a better fighter? First of all, I just want to go back to a minute ago when Tessa said one of the best characters in the game is New York City. That's a, that's, that's a trope you just fell headfirst into. And then, I mean, it is. And then, listen. Listen. The whole point, I did not spend... Day after day, <laughs> week after week, hour after hour, perfecting my combo game in Arkham Asylum to come into this game and not put on a suit that gives me no tactical advantage. Because, friend, I don't need one. <laughs> Bring on the suit. Bring on the quip suit. I'm ready. All right, Andy. Yes. I know you're a Spider-Man fan. Uh, a spider fan, if you will, yes. A, a spider fan. I have a little trivia game for you to test your Spider-Man knowledge. My, 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 how the turntables turned the tables. I don't know. <laughs> All right, these are, I have five multiple choice questions, okay? So I'm going to give you multiple choices as of to the answer. Okay. All right, number one. What comic book did Spider-Man first appear in? A, Tales to Astonish number eight, B, Amazing Spider-Man number one, 
C, Amazing Fantasy number 15, or D, Marvel Tales 17? I believe it's C. So I I don't want to start this game off on a on a contrary <laughs> note, but I just want to point out that none of your choices are correct. Spider-Man's first appearance was Detective Comics number 27. <laughs> Isn't that Batman? <laughs> Do you want Oh wait, it? DC's I'm so stupid. DC stands for Detective Comics. <laughs> Do you want to guess? No. Okay. Andy, you are correct. The first comic book issue that Spider-Man appeared in was Amazing Fantasy number 15, which, of course, he was so popular, it led to him having his own line. All right, number two. What supervillain kidnapped and murdered Peter Parkins? Peter Parker's? Ah, please start over. Peter Parkins. Yes, that's right. Normal, everyday Peter Parkins. The Spider-Man who never got his power. What supervillain kidnapped and murdered Peter Parker's girlfriend, Gwen Stacy? A, Doc Ock, B, the Rhino, C, the Green Goblin, or D, Electro? Okay, first of all, this is clearly E, none of the above, because the Green Goblin did not murder Gwen Stacy. Spider-Man killed Gwen Stacy by snapping her neck in the attempt to save her. But if you want to be technical about it, to make Spider-Man feel better, even though he shouldn't, he killed her. It is the Green Goblin. I see that you have a lot of feelings about Gwen Stacy's death. Yes, I, I do. But to, in, the, in the context of this question, you are correct. The Green Goblin is the one who kidnapped Gwen Stacy and put her in a position that Spider-Man then could not get her out of. I'm not sure how to say that exactly correctly. That Spider-Man accidentally killed her because physics exists. It was shocking. All right. This one's a little harder. I'm interested to well, know if you know Shocking this. is Electro's thing, Tessa. What famous redhead is MJ's character design based on? A, Anne-Margaret, B, Lucille Ball, C, Maureen O'Hara, or D, Pippi Longstocking? Considering I don't know who two of these people are, I'm going to go with C. C being Maureen O'Hara? Sure. This is the first one you got wrong. It's actually Anne Margaret from Bye Bye Birdie. See, that was the other one I didn't know, so 50-50. 50-50. All right, question number four. Which superhero convinced Peter to reveal his secret identity to the public in Amazing Spider-Man issue 533? A, Captain America, B, Iron Man, C, Daredevil, or D, Mr. Fantastic? Hold, please. While Andy's away from the mic, I just want to say this is Iron Man from Civil War. I am holding up the collected trade paperbacks of Road to Civil War and Civil War. And this is where Iron Man convinced Peter Parker to reveal himself to the public. Yeah. Iron Man doesn't come off so good in that interaction. You are correct. We both were correct. Yeah, Sam knew this one too. Yeah, uh... And uh, Spider-Man is the one who actually changes sides in the Civil War. That you is know. correct. We have that famous image of uh, Captain America and Iron Man pull it, like having a tug of war on Spider-Man. Anyway, I just, I just, I just want, wanted to 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 get ready if you were going to pull one of your uh, of of your uh, Tessa isms. No, <laughs> no. 
there also could have totally been a different hero who did it on a, another issue, and I wanted to make, check the issue number just in case. Nope, you're right. You are absolutely correct. All right, last question. Are you ready? I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Which of the following has carried on Spider-Man's legacy? Oh, no. A, Mayday Parker. Uh-huh. B, Miles Morales. Uh-huh. C, Peter Porker. Or D, Miguel O'Hara. Okay, first of all, all of them? Yes, it was a trick question. Yeah. Good job. Can you tell me what the alter egos of each one were? I'm not certain about Mayday Parker, uh, but I can tell you that it's Miles Morales is the Black Spider-Man, Harlem Spider-Man, Harlem's friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, or more importantly, as he's now known, Spider-Man. Peter Porker, of course, is John Mulaney's character with Spider-Ham. Who, wow, his having that cameo in No Way Home was insane. Uh, it was a live action, it, live action John Mulaney. It was so weird, but you know what? It just kind of worked. That motion capture. What was really great about that is just you know, you know, Nick Cage also was doing his character from the Spider Verse, but it was like a weird callback to Pig. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was so weird, but it was A worked. movie we have not seen yet. <laughs> uh, same here. Then finally, Miguel O'Hara is being voiced by Oscar Isaac in the new Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse because he is Spider-Man 2099. That is correct. And Mayday Parker is Spider-Girl. Spider-Girl. Okay. Yep. yep. Sorry, I only know Jessica Drew, who's actually part of the Avengers, so there's some real questions over who owns the uh, rights to her between Marvel and Sony. This it's uh, probably not something they're ever going to bother going to the, uh, the mats for, but well, they should because she's um, she Hulk's best friend. She and is we're she getting Hulk's her. So yeah, they're, they're best friends. It's great. Sam and I are often here for Marvel best friendships. They're, they're really kind of the best. Marvel best friendships are kind of the best. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Miles Morales and um, Nova. I, uh, yes. uh, Sam Alexander. Yeah, Sam has something to say. Andy, what did you get up to this week? Oh yes, that's right. What Sam has to say is the transition to. <laughs> yep, I'm good at transitions. You 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 are actually really good at transitions, and I am not. Because that's part of the podcasting art form. What I did this week was I played Demon's Souls. Is this anything like Dark Souls? Well, in fact, Demon's Souls was the kind of prototype game to Dark Souls. It is the game that uh, Miyazaki, who is the uh, game designer uh, from Software made before going on to make Dark Souls. So it's kind of a Dark Souls 0.5. All right. So, and as we have alluded to already today, this is one of those games that is a masochistic endeavor because the game is out to kill you. Hard mode is easy mode. Easy mode is insane mode. I don't know. Is this what that is? Is this Dark Souls, basically? What you are actually asking is, is this game Yeah. Well, yes, it, it, it is Dark Souls. This, this game is 
very clearly Dark Souls. Uh, what actually happened is when Demon's Souls came out, and I will have to keep saying that name. It is Demon's Souls, and there's an apostrophe in there somewhere. I don't remember where, but it's in there somewhere. It didn't sell very well, and it was a PlayStation 3 exclusive. But it started getting very popular with streamers because it's an incredibly hard game. So Bandai Namco quickly swooped down and was like, hey, from software, we want to go ahead and give you money to make another one of these. And thus, Dark Souls was born. Sony still owns the properties for Demon's Souls, but Dark Souls is actually the, uh, the next iteration of the, the style. I, this this has nothing to do with Demon's Souls, but you reminded me that Dark Souls is owned by uh, Bandai Namco. And all I can think about now is what if they did a Katamari Damacy in the Dark Souls universe? <laughs> you know you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if some modders have already done that, okay? They, they put in <laughs> Chungus, the Fat Bugs Bunny, as one of the bosses to dark souls okay like you're just playing around and then all of a sudden this fat bugs bunny jumps in chungus and is he's the boss um they also did some things with like barney the dinosaur uh the goose from goose game you know modders do crazy things just okay so an actual on topic thought you said that demon's souls was a ps3 exclusive game now, we just talked about a game that was originally a PS4 exclusive game. And as Tessa said, you know, this is an example of one of, of course, you've talked about another PS4 exclusive game earlier on this podcast. The PS4 is known for its exclusive games, right? That, that's, you know, PS4 is basically when they won over Xbox. Like, if there was any doubt that's when they won. Was that not true in the PS3 generation? Why wasn't this as well known as like, uh, like um, The Last of Us or uh, Bloodborne or you know? Well, Bloodborne is a PlayStation Four game. Uh, in the right, PS- but isn't it a PS4 exclusive? It is a PS4 exclusive. So, so why isn't this the PS3 version of that? Well, the the reason the reason is because. This game is indeed bull. So uh, the the actual reason is that they didn't produce enough copies of it when it was made, and when it started to get popular, by the time it actually grew in popularity, Dark Souls came out, and it was the far better, far more popular version of the game because it was also out for the Xbox 360, and uh, that was that's kind of the end of the story. This game was a very niche game. It's it's very different gaming in general. I, and I'm not trying to sound like this this elitist because, you know, if you want to play if you want to play a game that's easier, you know, you, that's not obtuse, that is completely fine. But gaming in general has gone towards being easier and more accessible and this game is certainly not accessible. It was a little weird. The internet was still just kind of figuring it out um and it's incredibly punishing. And ultimately, that's that's what went wrong. Um, Bloodborne, as you mentioned, is actually uh, Miyazaki's game that he made after Dark Souls. So the PlayStation 4 exclusive, and uh, it, it is clearly much better. Uh, yeah, and I'm not talking about the, uh, the animator Miyazaki, Hayao Miyazaki. This is a different <laughs> Miyazaki. Dark Souls would be completely different uh, 
if, if it was, but yeah, this, this game simply didn't get the popularity. It is lacking some of the level designs that made Dark Souls popular, which is Dark Souls is kind of like an entirely open world kind of open world that you can go and explore and go wherever. Demon's Souls is much more linear where you go down one of five paths. So this is this is your experience playing the game that it's not as not as good. Oh, it is definitely not as good and it is a lot more bullshit. The game that you played a few months ago, uh Nio, is that right? Uh it was more than a few months ago. It was like a year and a half ago. Okay. That's what which quarantine one, has done. Which one was better? Ooh, uh this was definitely better. Neo is too reliant on stats and what in stat management and item management and as Tessa points out, you don't want to spend an hour doing that. Um this though, and I played the remastered version for the PS5 because um that's the thing. As 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 I was playing it, it is very clear why it took so long for Sony to remaster it because you can put a fresh coat of paint on a uh, rough and unpolished game and it's still a rough and unpolished game. Or as Rockstar found out a couple of months ago, you can put a rough coat of paint on a polished game and it becomes a rough game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I beat it. I had to, uh, in my in my deepest, deepest shame, I, I had to look up cheese strategies, which are easy strategies for a few bosses. You know, what speedrunners do when... <laughs> When they're trying to cheat. It, it's what every single original NES player did. That's the yes. only way you could win back then is figure out. And and Nintendo would charge you $4.95 a minute to tell you what it was too. Can can the, the newbie video game millennial ask you all a question? Weren't there games that you actually had to have like manuals for? Like actual physical manuals to beat? Sometimes, yes. Quite famously... There is a game called Metal Gear Solid that at one point in the game, you have to use a radio frequency to contact a character. The game in itself does not tell you the radio frequency. The radio frequency is located on the back of the box in an image. You know, one of the the promo image of the main character talking to this character. That is how you were supposed to do it. I love and despise that. This is definitely an annoyance of mine because, as I mentioned, the Nintendo hotline was was there. I was a ground floor subscriber to Nintendo Power, Um, and and the thing about it is, is that you know games were forty bucks a piece, and when you're like ten, you don't have that many. So you know that it was easier to spend hours and hours on a game. And so maybe you'd only need like, you know, two or three help outs to really know everything because you'd find everything else yourself. And, you know, then the the game guides came out and became more and more complex. And of course, the Internet obliterated all that. It's nice to have a resource as a bailout, but I really hate using them. But I don't. Andy, how do you feel about that? I have recently taken a a turn in this when it came to my realization that at some point, if you don't know what to do, the game becomes homework. And homework isn't fun. It's it's really rough. I, I also grew up in the dawn, uh, even though Tess and I are the same age, uh, I was uh, allowed to play video games way more uh, and encouraged to play video games because I'm a boy and that's what boys do. Yep. 
Um, one of the things that uh, w- was fun and interesting is uh, the internet still had rumors and stuff that weren't proven conclusively. So you could find the the the, the strategies, but they weren't always necessarily true. I'm looking at you. You, uh, the lying liars who said Sonic the Hedgehog was in Super Smash Brothers Melee, and all you had to do was was beat the most difficult challenge uh, in a certain amount of time uh, in Super Smash Brothers Melee, and you could unlock Sonic. Yeah, no, no. And then there's a few, um, a few like weird things like the game Star Tropics. Sam, are you familiar with Star Tropics? This was for the NES. No, oh, I mean I've heard of it. Yeah. There is a part in that game where, <laughs> quite weirdly, another you have to get another radio frequency. But the game came with a map and a treasure book. And the whole thing is like finding treasures on different islands. And you were supposed to use the map, dip it in water to see the invisible ink that would tell you the radio frequency to dial. Again, really cool. Really cool idea. But also, as you know, video games got sold used. And when they get sold used, they don't have those things. Yep. So, yeah, um, overall, I, I, I can't wholeheartedly recommend this. This was a very okay game. This was the, the weakest game in the Soulsborne series. So, which, instead of this game, because I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a ranking here. Uh, instead of this game, should people play... Dark Souls, or should they play Bloodborne? Oh, that's a hard... Okay. If you like faster, more aggressive play, and Tessa, I happen to know you like faster, more aggressive play. The reason why I know is because you're a renegade in Mass Effect. (laughs) Bloodborne. If you're cool being slower and a little bit more methodical, Dark Souls 3. Okay, at no point during this did I actually hear a description of what this game is about. What is this game about? Oh. So that's one of the fun things here. It's Um, about how hard it is. (laughs) The entire Soulsborne series, they're all third-person action-adventure games where you're in the Dark Souls series, you're a dude with a sword in a medieval fantasy world. In Bloodborne, you're a dude with a depending on what weapon you pick, it's uh, like an axe that changes into a polearm or a saw or something in a Lovecraftian uh, Victorian England fantasy world. The whole point of these games, though, is that the lore is incredibly deep and hidden, and there are literally YouTube channels with millions of views dedicated to diving into the lore and explaining things. The All you're told is that you need to kill... You need to kill these four archdemons and then kill the 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 big demon. That is it. But there's an entire lore hidden within this of 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 just tragic characters and tragic stories. The game lies to you constantly when when you're doing things like one character that I saved. You know, you you're you're in a hub world and one character I saved literally is going around killing the other characters I saved. Right. Wow. So this so, really is a game for masochists. So so, but when when I leave the, the hub world and come back, like I like notice, like wait, what's that there in the corner? And I look over in the corner, and there's a dead body there, and the game doesn't tell you who did it. 
you have to figure out which one of these people that I saved would have the motivations to to kill this other specific character. Wow. That's uh, intense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it is uh it, it is hard and heartbreaking. There are no do-overs. The game saves automatically constantly, so there is no chance for you to undo a mistake. That would drive me crazy. Yeah. I'm an RPG player. I I love my saves. Give me my saves. Yeah, yeah. Um anyway, so so uh rest in peace Yuria the the witch. Uh I'm sorry I couldn't save you. I I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, uh, didn't do it in time, Whoopsie. but thank you for teaching me the most powerful magic move in the game, which allowed me to beat the boss. Is it my, one of the things that I say the most when I'm playing games is mistake. <laughs> hey, the guy who says, quote, life isn't as valuable as you think it is. Might be a murderer, so go. don't save him. Go ahead and kill him. Yeet him off that cliff that you saved him from. He was there for a reason. Don't let him lie to you. Andy, bringing some personal yes. feelings about this game. Yes. All right, now for something completely different, since we've been doing video games for most of this episode. I, I just, I just want to go ahead and be fair here. This is the dark souls of people that we're about to talk about. That's fair. Sam. I know Veruca Salt as a character from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Is Veruca Salt a real person? No. Okay, so what is Veruca Salt? Yes. Veruca Salt is a what, not a who. Good good <laughs> on you. Veruca Salt is a 90s, I guess we'll call them alternative rock band, that had... A couple of very prominent songs on MTV, and that's it. That's your bargain basement, easy, remember the 90s answer. Can you sing a few bars of one of these songs? I will not. Now I'm sad. When you say 90s, what era of the 90s are you talking about? Because I feel like the 90s is one of those most diverse musical decades I have ever heard. Okay, here we go. You knew I came with notes, right? You knew the short answers were... (laughs) Andy, are you ready for some more lore? This is like... You're right about it being Dark Souls. This is the lore of Sam that's hidden until you find it. I am totally, totally excited. Let's let's do this. All right. So at first I was going to say it's not about when in the 90s it was about where in the 90s but it's actually both so all right so we're going to talk about major label A&R in the 90s everybody wanted the next Nirvana everybody wanted the next cool alternative band right because in so you know in Seattle bands like Mud Honey Soundgarden Mother Love Bone Nirvana all had works on indie labels before they got scooped up, which of course led to uh, bands like Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam being mainstream from the beginning, right? And so, you know, Seattle was a vein that was tapped pretty early. So A&R execs started looking for the next big city. Veruca Salt's from Chicago, but just to give you a couple of other examples, uh, Green Day, who was on Lookout Records in Berkeley, California, got signed 
Um, and then, of course, they couldn't go back famously to Berkeley because they were called sellouts and mobbed. For a while, San Diego was going to be the next Seattle. Uh, bands like Rocket from the Crypt, but they never really got signed, never really got there. Chicago. The second city. Yes, the second city, the Windy City, the city of Smashing Pumpkins. Duh. Right. So Chicago is best known in the 90s for Smashing Pumpkins. And so A&R execs started going to Chicago. We get Urge Overkill, who does the cover of Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon on Pulp Fiction. Uh, you get Liz Fair. You get Hum. And you get Veruca Salt. Uh, there are two articles that you should read. Uh, both are from the AP Club. The first one's called A Great Time to Be Alive and Own a Guitar, Chicago 1990s Alt-Rock Explosion. And all hail Veruca Salt, the original history of American thighs. Did you say American thighs? I did. So, to ask the question a second time, what is Veruca Salt? Okay, now that you know all that. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. In, in the publishing world, or in, the, in the, the movie, TV world, a lot of times when you pitch something, you have to say it's like this with this, or it's this meets this, right? So if I was going to do that for this band, I would say if you took the one of the defining characteristics of, of grunge, which, by the way, I back up in mini tangent on that. Grunge is a marketing term. Right. It's, and it's plaid stupid, shirts. But this is this is anybody. You can call me on this, but I've had this for a long time. If you listen to Allison Chain's Facelift, which is their first album. Ozzy Osbourne called it the best metal album the year it was released. Alice in Chains and Soundgarden 2 started off as metal. And what makes them grunge, quote unquote, is they basically took the bass line, slowed it down, and made it sound muddy. Just like grungy. That's to me what, when I actually talk about grunge, I'm talking about that. So Veruca Salt is if you took that muddy, grungy bass added the fuzzy guitar from Smashing Pumpkins, doubled the number of girls from Smashing Pumpkins, and moved them up to the front, you'd have Veruca Salt. They got signed after half a dozen gigs. They got signed to a major label before they were even really a band. That's how hot A&R execs were for the next big thing and for a two-front girl band. Why is Veruca Salt? <laughs> Well, I believe I just told you. No, 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 no. You, you, you were un- misunderstanding the question. Why is Veruca salt, right? Why is there salt in Veruca? Oh, God, I'm listening to this seether, and it's, it is exactly as you described it. Veruca salt is, as I said, fronted by two women, Louise Post and Nina Gordon, and uh, Jim Shapiro and Steve Lack are the rhythm section. And so... One of the things that I really like from this oral history of American Thighs, uh, uh, Louise, one of the, the front women, says, uh, Gish should come out. That's the first Smashing Pumpkins album. You might remember it from the very beginning of Monkey Off My Backlog when I talked about it. Uh, it was a huge record for us. Um, I remember I would go to this coffee shop where Darcy Retsky, who's the Smashing Pumpkins bassist, was waiting tables, and James Eha, their guitarist, uh, would come in and they would play checkers, and she'd show him a painting in the bathroom. Then I saw the cover of the Illinois Entertainer, which was a monthly rag there, and they were on the cover, and I was like, oh, shit, those guys are in a band. 
So she thought, oh, I could be in a band too. And if you were in these very particular places at a very particular time, that's all it took. You know, the, the thing was, they, they made this band. Um, Jim, who's Nina's brother, hadn't ever played drums before. He didn't know how. This is a Mickey Dolan situation. Like, plays the drums at a half dozen gigs and is in a, 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 a band that has been signed by Geffen. This is ridiculous. And so the original Veruca Salt lineup lasts for two albums. This is kind of why. This is what happens with a lot of 90s bands is they get big soon. Labels treat them like shit. And then it's all over before it started. That's why you see a lot of these bands fizzle out in the 90s. And the ones that stayed together for any length of time are kind of mini miracles when you talk about it because of the way that the industry ran through them so quickly. Yeah, I was going to say, so what did you actually listen to for this episode? I listened to the the first two albums, and after the second album, the band essentially dissolves. So I listened to American Thighs and Eight Arms to Hold You. American Thighs came out in 94. Uh, Rolling Stone says it is about the 21st best album of 1994, but if you look at the albums that came out in 94, it's an experience. Um, my favorite R.E.M. album came out that year. Uh, the album that many a Pearl Jam fan call their best album came out that year. You know, things happened. Uh, the, the most important thing is that Rolling Stone thinks this album is better than the Stone Temple Pilots album that came out that year. So good for them. They got something right. The big song that you might know from this album that I certainly know is Seether. That was the video that I saw on MTV and played that song over and over and over again. I love it so much. What does it sound like? If you've never heard them before, it's super easy. That's the other thing right now. It's super easy to go listen to music. (sighs) I remember having trouble waiting for the song to come on so you could record it. It really creates an entire aesthetic in the music video of these two girls. But the song, because it's actually a song, to me... It sounds a lot like, it sounds a lot like other, this is weird because it's like all women fronted bands. It's, it sounds like the Breeders. It sounds like Hole. And that makes sense because Kim Deal and Courtney Love are very rarefied air for anybody in the 90s, especially a woman looking at how to make it. You know, Liz Fair comes out of Chicago not too long after that. They were a big, she was a big influence on Veruca Salt. So you hear a lot of that. In this, the entire album, I think, is really good. Uh, that first album, American Thighs, you hear in uh, the B-side to see there, which is all Hail Me. Like I said, you hear a lot that Breeders and, and Hole influence. What's really funny is there's another song called Number One Blind, which is also very good. Um, it has this weird video, and the band hated it and got it pulled, and then Geffen threw a hissy fit and stopped marketing their album. It was fun to be in the 90s. I enjoy the amount of animals in their music videos. Like, Seether has a lot of cats, and Number One Blind has a lot of, like, a couple dogs that are carrying fish on the beach, and All Hail Me has a goat on the dining room table. I'm, I'm just a big fan. Yeah, their second album isn't as good. Uh, Eight Arms to Hold You is, uh, if not the original title of the film, Help. It is a variation on the original title. This is uh, the Rolling Stone review for this album is one and a half stars. The reviewer hated it. And he talked about how 
you know, well, Jim Shapiro knows how to play the drums now, but they just rip everything off. And and to be fair, they do sound a lot like they are uh, trying to do some sort of uh, Beatles harmonization. It sounds like the difference between Gish and Siamese Dream, which are the Smashing Pumpkins' first two albums. It's p- perfectly pleasant, but I wouldn't listen to it on purpose the way that I would listen to um, American Thighs. Uh, Volcano Girls is a great video. They're on bungee cords the whole time, bouncing around. It's super cool. As soon as this album comes out, the band dissolves, basically, because there was a lot of band infighting, boyfriends being stolen, so on and so forth. They did get back together in 2015, I think, for a new album. But yeah, that's, that is the, the brief and somewhat remarkable story of Chicago band, Veruca Salt. So wait, you've never seen or listened to this? I alluded to earlier that one could not just listen to music in the 90s, right? I've listened to Seether and Volcano Girls probably at least a thousand times each. I love those songs, but I I never had really the funds to buy every album I wanted, so I didn't hear most of their stuff. The other videos didn't get airplay. I, today was the first time I'd seen them. And then, and of course, the question is, once streaming exists, why now? Why not a few years ago? And I thought about that, and the answer is, our friend Nigel, if, if, if she were here right now, would say, you know, you're a very, that she's a very fickle person. And I'm no Nigel. I'm not as fickle as Nigel is, but I'm certainly a fairly fickle being. And I just didn't get to them. I wanted to, but they were there for me when I needed them, which is this week, and it was cool. That's why. Awesome. Awesome. I just wanted to, to make sure that this wasn't just a Sam's favorite book club review. <laughs> so what you're telling me is, is that they're both Fleetwood Mac and Hart. Yes. In terms of band dynamics. Yes. Like Fleetwood Mac for the drama, Hart for the one blonde, one brunette lead singers. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you recommend people listen to Veruca Salt? I mean, yeah. American Thighs. I mean, it's an album. What are you doing for an hour that's better than listening to something cool? The, the two things that I would add about that, this is usually an Alice in Chains thing um, because after they stopped making records, all these bands came out that sounded tried to sound exactly like them. Sometimes they would name their band after a song. There's a band called Godsmack, which is an Alice in Chains song. There's also a band named Seether. I hate all of these bands. I hate them Isn't all. Isn't Seether the one that did Lips of an Angel? I don't know. I hate them. They sound all the same. They're trash. I hate them. So yeah, you should definitely go back and listen to the originals instead of their early 2000 ripoffs, such as they are. So this, the second thing is that the reason that I listen to them now, I was thinking about Seether randomly one day, as you do. And I started thinking about the band, and I've done this a lot over the last year, right? Going back and revisiting pop culture from my youth through a different lens. Because it, So it's been about a year now, so I wanted to go ahead and, and say it on the podcast, because there's no turning back if you say it on a podcast, because tons of people listen to it, right? Right? Winks. All 12 of our listeners are well, excited. Uh, so all 12 of the listeners, for the five of you who don't know, um, I'm trans, so... The interesting thing about this was going back and listening to this band and why did I, you know, kind of 
latch on to to a band with two front women and it was you know of course when you're a adolescent boy you're thinking well that's cool because it's cool right but much like Peyton from One Tree Hill this is an experience of pop culture where I'm like yeah that makes much more sense now that's that's what I wanted to be so for the five listeners who found that news that you gave surprising what pronouns would you want to be addressed as on this show and by listeners of this show Tess has been doing a great job for a year of using the wrong pronouns for me on purpose. Um, and that's part of the reason why I'm doing this. I just wanted to have Tessa to have an easier time. This is, it's also taken a year to figure out. Basically, it sound like I was like pressuring you. The, the real <laughs> reason to come out of the closet, to make things easier for other people. I mean, you, that's me. I'm a people pleaser. What can I say? I could say I'm an empath and Tessa will walk away. <laughs> So I, I hate this whole pronoun thing because while I don't like he, him, I don't really know that the other established options are really that great for me at this time. So here's what I will say. For the five of you who don't know, I will, they or she works for me. So they, so they slash she, but really, hey, you is probably the best. What about yo? That'll work. All right. Tune in next week for a Vaporwave-themed episode. Andy, could you explain what a Vaporwave is and what you will be doing for next week's episode? Okay. Vaporwave is both a micro-genre of electronic music featuring slow synth kind of remixed bits of jazz, uh, pop, R&B, but also it's an aesthetic. Uh, An aesthetic that is very focused on 90s internet imagery uh, with interacting with either corporate or other structures of power with uh in an ironic or uh satirical way but really what i feel that's the best way to call a vaporwave movie is either the soundtrack a, a 90s cyberpunk aesthetic so you're not looking at something like that's future future forward-looking you're looking at something like lawnmower man uh something where the the cgi isn't that great uh the understanding of computers actually isn't that great and also you're looking at lighting that involves the spectrum of blues and purples um tessa calls it bisexual lighting i call it vaporwave uh the best example that i'm going to give for this which is the movie that I haven't seen, but I'm not going to do it because Tessa did something by the same director next week, Drive. So instead, I'm going with Nicolas Cage's movie, Mandy. Sam, do you want to tell us what you're doing next week? Andy talked about 90s cyberpunk. I am going to watch a film from the 90s based on the daddy of cyberpunk, William Gibson. We're talking about Johnny Mnemonic starring, who's it starring, Tessa? Keanu Reeves, who is also in the film that I am doing next week, The Neon Demon. Where can people find you, Andy, online? You can find me online on Twitter at AndyNoted. Sam, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9. And you can find me on Twitter at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. 
Send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today, what pop culture you've crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Visit monkeyoffmybacklog.com. Our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Spotify has ratings now, you guys. And follow us on Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.